This is Good Faith Effort with Ari Lam. And here's your host, Rabbi Dr. Ari Lam. Hello, hello, and welcome to Good Faith Effort, the world's most dangerous Bible podcast, the podcast where we show you how the values and ideas of the Bible can illuminate the most important conversations in society, from politics to pop culture and beyond. Guys, Ennis Kanzer is here. Formerly of my beloved New York Knicks, God help me, that team, the most emotionally abusive relationship in my life, but now with the Blazers, we Knicks fans all loved every single minute Ennis played for us, but more importantly, we're going to talk about living a religious life in today's world. Today we're going to start talking for the first time about the book of Numbers. Now, a book that's literally just called Numbers, you'd probably assume it's pretty boring, like a math textbook, but it's actually pretty crazy. It's got spies, rebellions, wars, miracles. Van Lathan said it best in the pot a few weeks ago, Game of Thrones has nothing on the Bible. But here's the most interesting thing about the book of Numbers. It's basically the mirror image of the somewhat better known biblical book of Exodus. Both books are about journeys. The book of Exodus is the story of the Israelites' journey out of Egypt, escaping slavery, while Numbers is all about the Israelites' journey through the desert to the promised land. So what's the difference between these two journeys? Well, the journey of Exodus is a journey from somewhere. It's escaping from slavery. But the journey of Numbers is a journey to somewhere, to a place where the Israelites can finally build a society. Now, if you've never heard these stories before or read the Bible, you'd probably assume that the journey of Numbers, the journey to somewhere, was much easier. After all, by the time the Israelites were traveling to the Holy Land, they'd left their slave masters behind. They didn't have to worry about Egyptian oppression and tyranny. It was just a joyride. But if you actually read the book of Numbers, you'll see the journey it describes is much harder. The Israelites are always complaining. They're staging a revolt, whether against Moses or against God. It's bitter from beginning to end. And why is this? And the answer is actually pretty simple. It's much easier to escape something, to say what you're against, than to actually come together with your fellow citizens to build something, to say what you're for. And in today's world, with all its conviction that no one should feel obligated to do anything unless they choose to do so, it seems like all we know how to do is run away from responsibility, to be against things. But in the end, if we're going to not only survive, but thrive as a society, we need to not only run from tyranny, but towards a sense of community and values. It's not enough just to say what we're against. We need to articulate what it is we stand for. So to talk about all this, I brought on one of the most prominent people on the planet who's actually lived both of these important journeys. Someone who's obviously achieved professional excellence at the highest level in the NBA, but much more importantly has stood against the tyranny of an oppressive ruler, Erdogan in Turkey, and stands for a deep tradition of values and faith as a Muslim. So I'm super excited to welcome one of my favorite big men in the league, the now record holder, for most rebounds in a game by Portland Trailblazer, the one, the only, Ennis Cantor. Ennis, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. So we're going to be releasing this episode on Eid, so Eid Mubarak in advance. Oh, I'm true. That's amazing. And honestly, Ramadan is probably the time of year that I feel closest to my Muslim friends here in the U.S. because, first of all, we're the only people who understand that the day really begins in the evening, not in the morning. Yeah, uh, And that... Uh, <laughs> And that real fasting means no drinking water. Yep. But in all seriousness, I think in the American mainstream, there's this perception that what religion really is, is like faith or belief. And that what you do, the practices, the rituals don't really matter or they're not as important. 
Now, I've always thought that was exactly backwards, but in your practice of Islam, whether it's observing Ramadan or anything else, how do you think about the importance of, of actions? First of all, I will just say it doesn't matter what you do, what kind of you know sports you do. I think it's important to you know just keep what your religion tells you. I remember you know just fasting since I was an eight nine year old kid. Back then, it was tough for me. You know, I was just like very thirsty. I was like so hungry, whatever. But now, like you know, growing up, it become you know easier and easier. Now every time I you know I fast, you know a lot of my teammates are asking me a lot of questions like, "Dude, you don't even drink water." That's the biggest one we get to on our fast days. Exactly. It's like, you're going to die. I'm like, dude, I was telling my teammates, like, listen, I've been doing this since I was like an eight, nine year old kid. My body's used to it. I actually try to do, you know, fast once or twice a week during the season so my body can get uh, used to it during Ramadan. I think it's it's important to follow what your religion tells you. And I think at the same time, you know, it just, for me, it just feels good, you know, because I feel like this is beginning of basketball. I mean, you've taken charges from LeBron, so you can make it through a fast with no water for a little exactly. bit. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're a student of Fethullah Gulen, the famous Islamic mm-hmm. scholar who's the leader of the Hizmet movement. Mm-hmm. And I'm completely fascinated by him. He actually reminds me in important ways of some of my own teachers who are some like really mm-hmm. deeply traditional rabbis. And I actually thought of Gulen pretty recently last summer when Rabbi Eliyahu Bakshi Doron of Blessed Memory uh, who was the former Sephardic chief rabbi of Israel, passed away. And okay. Rabbi Bakshi Daron was a major scholar, major scholar. And one of the noteworthy things I remember about him was that he actually had developed a relationship with Fethullah Gulen. They had actually visited mm. with each other. Beginning, Interesting. Yeah, beginning back in the late 90s. And I remember being very inspired by that. So mm-hmm. how do you think about the value of encountering people from different religions? Let me tell you this. I remember growing up in Turkey. You know, I grew up east side of Turkey where people did not respect different colors, different religions, different cultures. And even like back then, I was like, knew something was wrong because you cannot hate or dislike someone before you even meeting them. You know, this media says something, this uh, person says something. You cannot just like hate someone just because of you hearing things or you hearing, you know, rumors from those uh, people or those uh, person or, or that, that group. I remember, you know, asking my family, you know, obviously they were very educated people. They would try to explain it to me and they're like, listen, don't listen to anyone. You know, just keep focusing on your school and education is the number one thing that will make you understand people more. And I remember, you know, growing up going to these Yulan schools and they taught me everything I know. They taught me about, you know, the respecting each other, uh, respecting others, respecting cultures and religions and stuff. And then after that, you know, because of basketball, I came to America. Uh, you know, this Gulen woman has so many dialogue centers around the world and in America. And I remember, you know, going to those kind of events, my eyes just opened even more. And I remember first time meeting with Mr. Gulen, he told me one thing and it still amazed me. He's like, it doesn't matter what your you know religion is. It doesn't matter what your skin color, your culture or your background is. The most important thing in life is leave your differences on the table and try and find what we have in common. I always say, say this often and people laugh, but till, you know, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, I don't know, someone find another planet to live, this world is what we have. So we need to make this world better together. So Mr. Gillian was just telling me about all this stuff and he was like, wow, you know, th- this is not how I grew up, but this is the ideology that I was looking for. Then I started reading. I think the number one thing is just educate yourself. 
there are so many times that I sit down in my hotel, I start reading Bible. I start reading Book of Mormon. I start- uh, They leave it in every hotel room, so you got it right there, right? <laughs> exactly. Judaism. So the different things. The reason I did that, so whenever I have a conversation with a Christian people, with Catholic people, with Mormon, with Jewish people, I can ask better questions. I can respect them better. And I can just learn from them even more. I feel like it is all about understanding each other because seriously, like it's very close. Like the things that like, you know, the, the culture and the food and the dances or all that is really, really similar. And I loved it. So I love that idea of the importance of asking questions, of getting to better understanding, because another thing that Mr. Gulen teaches about is how studying the wisdom of the world, physics, mathematics, chemistry, is actually a way to learn about and to serve God. And I was so struck by this because this was something my grandfather, Rabbi Norman Lamb of Blessed Memory, who was one of the leading Mm -hmm. uh, Jewish thinkers of the 20th century, he unfortunately passed away this year. It was a great loss. He was my greatest teacher and a major, a may also a major religious scholar. So he spent a great deal of his scholarship explaining this very thing. So he wrote a book, a whole book about it called Torah Umada, Torah and Wisdom. Oh. Um, and I think most people in our society, let's say, say in the U.S., don't find this intuitive. Like you connect with mm-hmm. God when you pray or read the Bible and that's it. But how do you think about this? Can you serve God through studying the world or maybe even through sports, through understanding the values of teamwork, yeah. loyalty, courage? Like, how do you think about this? I feel like you can just through everything, you can find a way, you know, because I feel like to me, the most important thing is to educate yourself because there are so many problems that are happening in our world because of uneducated people and bigotry. And that was the one thing that Mr. Gillan was doing and amazed me so much. You know, he is an Islamic scholar. But instead of going around and building mosques, he was going around and building schools. Amazing. And he was saying, okay, we need to, first of all, educate our youth. This, you know, movement has schools over 170 countries in the world. Dialogue centers, cultural centers, schools, dormitories, universities. And these organizations, uh, not just for Muslim people. You know, you can be Jewish, Christian, Catholic, believe in God, not believe in God. You can go to these schools and learn about math and science. He believed that if we can educate our youth, we are going to have a better and brighter fair future. That really opened my eyes. I was like, wow, because the science and religion really can go together. They're like completing each other. So that's why I was very amazed by it. Like sports, right? In our locker room, we have so many different players from different colors, different backgrounds, different religion, different culture, different countries and cities and stuff. But what we do is we leave our differences in that locker room, go out there and talk one language, and it's basketball. And that make us better friend, that make us a better teammate. You know, obviously, whenever I say that I'm Muslim, they have so many questions, but they're always in a circle of respect. They always respected me. They're like, okay, you pray five times a day? You're like, wow, five times? Because like uh, some of my friends go to church once a week. Whenever I say like I pray five times a day, they're like, whoa, five times? God's like, enough already. I heard you. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like with the, the, the fasting thing, you know, whenever I fast, they're like, you don't even drink water? Yep. <laughs> so like they always like ask me good questions. I ask them quick questions about, you know, about Jesus, about Mary, because we believe in, you know, Jesus too. Sure. We just, I would just think that he was a prophet. It's very interesting to learn about other religions, other cultures, because 
it opens your eyes and just you can see through life in their eyes, you know? You know, we always like go to restaurants. I went to many kosher restaurants and they were amazing. <laughs> there are so many of them. You know what I learned this year and it was uh, so amazing? Food is really similar, the kosher food and uh, halal food. In Quran, it says we can eat kosher too. So like for me, it's sometimes it's hard to find special, like not in New York, obviously New York, there is a, there are a, everywhere. But some of the places, like say, small cities you go to, there is not many halal restaurants. Just hit up Chabad, you know? <laughs> exactly. You can literally go to a kosher restaurant and eat whatever you want. I learned this year, just because of you guys cannot have like the dairy and meat same time. That's right. So there are different kind of restaurants. There is only maybe like meat restaurant and there is only like dairy restaurant. So my friend took me to this dairy restaurant and we just had a blast. We ate so much food. It was amazing. We always joke that like every Jewish holiday is like, they tried to kill us. It didn't work. Let's eat. You know, it's like we're always just like stuff in our faces, you know. But and the funny yeah. thing is, like you say, you know, can't eat meat and milk. So one thing we always joke about is after you eat meat in the Jewish tradition, you have to wait a period of time before you can eat milk again. Yep. So we're always like calculating when's the next time I'm going to want to eat ice cream. Like every right. single. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I even asked my friend. I'm like, so you never had a cheeseburger before? <laughs> my, my friend was like, nope, never had a cheeseburger. Yep. <laughs> You know, it's very interesting to learn because I did not know that till this year. That's amazing. Yeah, amazing. So I actually want to ask you about the locker room, right? So like the NBA or maybe even like major sports leagues in general, it's the one area in popular culture where the stars are actually mm -hmm. very often, maybe even the majority, religious. Like you never mm -hmm. read about yeah. all the actors on the set of Ocean's Eleven doing like a Bible study together, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? But you regularly read that in ESPN. Like even stories yeah. that aren't about religion, like some of the background will be like, oh yeah, so here's this like totally unrelated thing that happened while Jimmy Butler was leading a Bible study with his teammates, right? Yeah. And so first of all, am I right in noticing this? And like, is religion more of a thing among athletes and other major pop culture figures? And, and can this have a positive influence? A hundred percent, because I, I have a teammate who was reading Bible in a halftime. That's amazing. In a halftime, you know, we have 15 minutes. So first five minutes, we just relax and we drink water. We just, you know, just hang out and breathe and relax our body. And then the next five minute coach comes and give a talk about the first half and what we should do in the second half. And then the next five minutes, we just go out there and shoot a little bit. So that first five minutes, he reads Bible in his locker room. I love it. I was like, I looked at it. I'm like, oh my God, that is so amazing. And like before the game, there is always one guy, you know, just comes in the middle, we get in the huddle and he prays for everybody. And before the games, that actually whenever I learned that amazed me. And I was just so sad. Just I was like, why can't we have this, you know, in Turkey too? Because I mean, I play basketball in Turkey right. and we did not have that. We had this like a chapels. It's 60 minutes before the game. It usually takes like 10, 15 minutes. You know, a priest, that, that religious guy comes and gives a talk about sportsmanship, about respecting parents, about respecting others and stuff. You know, I joined some of it and they're really talking about some really amazing things, wow. you know? And that actually, you know, opened my eyes. I'm like, how can we bring this to every country in the world? Ah, oh, that's amazing. Because that chapel is like, it's not just for team, it's together. So like, say we're gonna play against the Lakers, right? It's not mandatory, obviously, it's optional. So there's like a big room that, you know, Blazers players go and same time Lakers players go. And it's like in the same room before the game and we just sit down and listen. And after the, you know, the talk, we all get up 
and put our hands in each other's shoulder and pray together, wow. you know? And after that, usually the priest, whatever, religious guy, gives everyone a note about, you know, how to be a good person, how to respect each other, how to, I don't know, be a good sportsmanship, how to play better, whatever. I was in Washington Wizards playing against them. I joined one of them. We had this like little cards. And the guy said, you guys write whatever you got on it. And while you play, I'm going to pray for whatever you guys write it on that note. That's awesome. So like one of the players, his mom was sick. So he was saying, my mom is sick. Can you please pray for my mom? One of the guys was like, hey, can you please pray for me to score 30 points? Can you please pray for us to win the game? <laughs> so it's very unique, very unique thing. And I really like respect it a lot. The other thing is like right now, only one team does it. Oklahoma City, because I played for them. Before the national anthem, there is always a guy comes in the middle and prays for the whole arena. Everyone gets up. He takes the microphone and prays for the players, for the coaching staff, for the fans, for the state. And it amazed me because I'm like, wow, this is a really like a huge 20,000 people get together praying right before the game. And it amazed me. That's incredible. So that brings me to, I suppose, like a larger question about American society, which is that right now, Americans feel more than ever before that they don't owe each other anything, right? And you can say it's because of how toxic our politics have gotten, and that's probably part of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I think it starts with the fact that we really do have this very individualistic culture, which can be wonderful in so many ways, but we don't talk about obligations. Like, we never talk about obligations, about responsibilities. It's all about, like, choice, what makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes it hard to keep community together, right? Because community is all about obligation. And it's about obligations that you didn't choose, right? You have them just because of who you are and what you believe. So as someone who's part of a very ancient community and tradition, Islam, that comes with a lot of obligations, right? So how would you make the case to your average American, like forget faith for a minute, but like how would you make the case to your average American about the importance of tradition, feeling obligated, being part of a community? It's very important. Well, I'm very lucky because there is a huge Turkish community here. Right. So I don't forget my culture or where I came from. So I was in touch with them. And pretty much in almost every city you go to, there is like a cultural center. But like, obviously, I feel like, you know, we need to set an example of our youth, you know, because there are so many things that are happening in our world uh, right now with politics, with hate, with hate speeches, the politicians that give a crazy talk and Every time you turn on the news, there is like a negative news out there. This side is attacking the other side. But I think it's our duty to be set an example and inspire our young generation. There is a story, you know, so I was playing for uh, Boston Celtics. I was really good friends with the Council General of uh, Israel. Wow. Uh, Boston. Yeah, his name is Zim, uh, Booker. And we, we still uh, text. That's amazing. So he invited me to the Holocaust Remembrance Day. Wow. And I wanted to go because... I'll be honest, I had no idea what happened then because I'm not educated. I don't know any better. So I'm like, I'm just going to go and learn because I, I, I want to learn because that was one of the toughest time of the world history. So I went there, you know, he was explaining to me like what happened and this and that. And it was like definitely heartbreaking. And one of the old lady, I don't even know, she was maybe 80, 90, I can't remember. She came up to me and she was like, I never seen a Jewish person this tall before. Okay. <laughs> you still haven't. <laughs> so, so I'm like, ma'am, you're so sweet, but I'm not Jewish. And she is like, then what are you doing here? You know, why are you here? And I'm like, well, I'm just enjoying some kosher food and I'm here to learn. 
And she was amazed that I was just a Muslim person was just there to just support them. And then they made me like, give a speech that day. Um, we love that. That's how know, we roll, Jews. We just we make people exactly. give speeches. <laughs> no, no, it was it was amazing. No problem with giving a speech, but like I wanted to listen more because everywhere I go, they want me to give a speech. But that day, I wanted to listen and there. Wow. You know, I stayed there. I learned. People give a talk. It was eye opener, and I was like, "This is what happened." You know, over seventy five whatever years ago. And I'm here, so it won't happen again. So I can inspire young, our young Muslim people, our Muslim kids, and our young generation. And I wrote an op-ed with Gilad Erdan. Oh, so you're talking about the op-ed that you wrote in Newsweek with yourself and Israel's ambassador to the U.S. and the U.N., Gilad Erdan, right? Yes. It was amazing. So can you tell about it a little bit? So I met him this summer. I went to, you know, I went to uh, his house. His hospitality was amazing. We listened to music. I think it was from, I'm trying to remember, Omar? Oh, yeah. From Israel? Exactly. O- Omar Adam, probably. Yep, Omar, Omar Adam, the most famous He's uh, awesome. <laughs> the singer. I still remember the part of this uh, song, but we listened to some amazing music. And he told me, he let me hear your story. And I explained him my story. I was like, I grew up with hate speeches, you know, coming from the Turkish president. Because it's so sad because, like, you know, in Turkey, if you want to get more votes... Or if you want to get more attention, then you attack Jewish people or you attack Israel. Wow. You know, it breaks my heart every time. And the, what kills me inside is there's so many young generation in Turkey growing up anti-Semitic, anti-West and anti, you know, I'll say Israel because of the Turkish president hates his speeches. I remember what Erdogan was telling me, Turkish president was giving the same hate speech in UN. And Gilad Erdogan said, I literally got up and left the building just because of his hate speech. Wow. And I was like, okay, what can we do to change that? He said, okay, let's run an op-ed together. Jewish U.S. ambassador and Muslim NBA player, let's come together, bring our powers. It's like Power Rangers. You know, I don't know if you ever watched Power (laughs) Rangers before. So let's go together. My first crush was the Pink Ranger, you know. (laughs) Exactly. So let's just put something so peaceful out there that people can read and be inspired. You know, same time, I had an amazing conversation with the president of ADL. I had an amazing conversation with the president of AGC. You know, I had an amazing conversation with the president of APAC. So like these people are so amazingly, you know, just kind people. And I'm like always trying to find some way to bring, you know, more awareness to it because of what's going on in our world. That is amazing. Amen. Anas, thank you so much for joining me. This is amazing. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Come back to what we talked about at the top. Here's my question for you. What kind of journey are you on? Are you on a journey from somewhere? Are you trying to escape your attachments to others, to family, friends, colleagues? Are you just dunking on people on Twitter, perpetually dissatisfied with everyone and everything from religion and culture to politics and the media? Or are you on a journey to somewhere? Are you trying to build a community? Are you working hard to fulfill your obligations to others? And if you're a believer, to your faith tradition? Are you striving, like Ennis, to ask better questions and understand more about the wondrous, miraculous world into which we were born? Don't get me wrong, running from things can be important. Resisting tyranny is an essential thing. But if we're not running towards something as well, then ultimately all that running will just make us exhausted. So the question we need to ask is, where are we running to? 
what are we going to build together? Anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. If you love this, then the best thing you can do is give us a rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, Stitcher. And if you do, if you review us on iTunes, then hit me up on Twitter so I can tell everybody that you are amazing. Okay, that's it for now. This is Ari Lam making a good faith effort. I'll see you next time. Faith Effort was created and written by Ari Lamb. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice, because it really helps others find the show. Our executive producer is Josh Cross. The show is produced and edited by Paul Ruest. This is a Joshua Network podcast presented by B'nai Zion. Follow us on Twitter at GFaithEffort. Follow Ari at Ari Lamb and sign up for our email list at thejoshuanetwork.com. The Joshua Network is now Soul Shop.